it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 99. Tonight, we are going to talk about a stock that Andrew recently had some bad luck with and has sold, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the lessons that he learned from his investment with this company, including things like activist investors, uh, divestitures, and board resignations, and how those can affect what happens with a stock. So, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and tell us about the company and a little bit about your experience? Yeah, sure. So, I think... When you talk about stock picks from the past, it's much more useful to talk about your mistakes rather than your successes. Um, we can we can all buy stocks; it can go up for a multitude of reasons. But you know, if you can look at how you kind of messed up, and maybe you can avoid that in the future. Maybe some people can kind of recognize a situation like this and and maybe stay clear or in the case of of my like my personal kind of experience with this and the way that maybe I wish I would have played it is I would have waited longer to to get into this stock because it was clear that the fallout from this stock hadn't completely finished and so I'm keeping this stock on my radar and I'm watching to see how it progresses uh, I'll talk a little bit more about the, the details as as we go along here, but it's one of those where I would have wished for the dust to settle kind of a thing before before I bought and, and wanted to hold it. So it, it was by no means like a portfolio killer. I lost maybe 25 to 30%, something like that. So I've definitely had gains that, that have more than made up for that, but uh, it's still something you, you still want to examine your mistakes and try to improve from them. So the stock that I'm going to talk about today is Noel Brands, ticker symbol NWL. So one of the brand or one of the type of stocks that I really like to purchase, it has, you know, the brand names. It, it was one of those that kind of picked up a lot of different brands. So they had they had brands like, as an example, Rawlings. I don't know if any baseball fans out there know of that company. It's a pretty big company. They make bats and 
I believe they make gloves and, and other sorts of things like that. Very, very popular. Um, so they had purchased that. They had acquired that brand and had it for a while. Yankee Candle, which is pretty popular amongst um, middle-aged women or you know maybe younger too. Um, that was a cool brand just purely on the sense that people are buying those candles solely for the for the brand name you know you can you can easily buy a candle and i'm sure it costs like cents to produce and you can buy them for pennies but um they were definitely charging a good premium on those candles and that's the kind of product that you really want to invest in because if they can carry themselves with the brand name they can continue rising the, raising the price and um that's a great catalyst for growth I had a few other brand names, um, but the problem with with the way that they acquired a lot of these brands is that they basically overpaid to acquire them. So w- when you talk about divestitures and acquisitions, I know these are big, kind of more complicated terms, but the underlying kind of core basic behind it is pretty simple. When you talk about an acquisition, it's just one business buying another business. A divestiture is simply you selling off a piece of the business to somebody else. So the problem with Noel was that they they bought up all these businesses and they got into a ton of debt to do it and they paid a big price for these businesses. So the way that played out was basically so so if you look at the financial statements and I always talk about the debt to equity ratio as a risk ratio, a good way to look at, you know, how, how leverage a company is, how risky they are based on how much they can kind of continue running business, make debt payments. And just in general, you know, it's, it's a lot easier for a company to grow when it doesn't have many expenses because it can take those profits and reimburse a greater percentage of them with Noel. Um, they had made all these acquisitions, but basically a lot of things happened in the following years and they make good steps to pay the debt back. So if you look at, say from like 2014 all the way till 2018, I, I bought the stock middle of middle to late 2018. So when you look at like 2014, 2015, I don't have the financial statement in front of me, but I'll just tell you the general trend of it. They had like a normal debt to equity, and then they their debt to equity like ballooned like crazy, like they went up to something stupid like five. And then in 2017, 2018, they really made a strong effort to pay off the debt. So on the surface, and based on just normal metrics, it really looked like they kind of atoned for their for their bad behavior. Let's say they they really they they made a concerted effort to to kind of write the ship. And that's very, very good. And that was one of the reasons why I bought it was because I saw, okay, there was some reckless spending, reckless acquisitions, but they paid off a lot of their debt and things seemed to be going in the right direction. They had pretty high earnings based on the fact that, you know, acquisitions tend to push earnings up because now you have this new business that you own and, and you can take all of those earnings and add it to your total net earnings. So that was all good. That was all good and good. Some of the things that I didn't really account for, um, 
So, so let's let's talk about let's talk about this and and how it played out as far as the how it evolved into divestitures. Now, one way you can really get great information, and this is this is something that I've recently been using, and I don't you know, other than like manually googling, I, I don't know of a better resource. Again, if you go to Seeking Alpha, which is which is a, a website we've talked about before, it's completely free. You you give them your email, and you you make a free account, and you have access to a lot of information. If you type in the ticker, you look at the ticker overview. You go on the right column where it says news, and then there's a drop down for news summaries. So what this is, it's a place where all of their major news articles are kind of curated. So. You know, they're, they're, you'll you'll sift through some of it. So there's like news that I find to be important and news that I find not to be important. So as an example, if it says something like uh, Newell Brands is down three percent because they just missed revenue by six cents, like I don't really care about that. That's like your typical Wall Street BS, right? Where it, it, Analyst expectations and, and predictions and forecasts, it's all its all just a bunch of mirrors. It doesn't have anything to do really with the health of the business. It's just the way Wall Street works, and that's kind of the way the industry works. But while that might move the share price, as we know, we are buying these businesses as, and we're looking at it as part owners. And what happens on Wall Street is all, is all going to happen, and it's all going to be Mr. Market up and down bipolar. But in reality, we want to look at the long-term health of the business. And I'll tell you why what happened with Newell and the divestitures actually showed that the business wasn't as strong as they were initially presenting. So some of the things that I, that I see now, when you, when you read these news summaries, some of the, the things that are helpful are things like when they, when they announce acquisitions. So if I go back to like 2016 for Newell, they talk about how they were to acquire a food storage and candle business businesses. I'm sorry. So it tells you how much they're going to pay, usually how they're going to pay for it. Like if it's going to be mainly funded through debt, if they're going to issue shares or if they're going to pay cash. And there's some other stuff here. Like when they talk about, of like industry guidance, that's very similar to like analyst estimates. I don't, I don't really see those as noteworthy news, but like I said, when they when they announce acquisitions, they'll also announce divestitures when they're selling parts of their business. Those are great ways to, in addition to looking at the balance sheet, that gives you some context on the balance sheet and how you will probably see it move as as the balance sheet gets updated from year to year. Um, you you can manually you know take these calculations and kind of do it in the back of a napkin. Okay, well, I know that they're going to pay $500 million to buy this company, so I'm going to subtract $500 million in cash this year. And that's a way to kind of... You can kind of adjust your analysis based off of that. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending. 
allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Now, the problem was, was that a lot of these businesses, they overpaid for. So how it ended up playing out, and this happened basically in the six months six to nine months, maybe almost a year uh, after I bought it. So in my defense, the fallout from the the acquisitions and divestitures didn't didn't happen until after I bought. So you can argue there was no way that, at least from a concrete sense, there was no way that I could have possibly known. Um, In the future, I will definitely be looking at past years to see if they made huge acquisitions that just because they paid off the debt on those, you know, that's only one side. Like they paid off the debt and staying clear on that side. But if you still paid too much for the acquisition itself, you can have what happened with Newell and what killed their earnings and their, their balance sheet. So, and it's going to be tough to not, to not get too technical here because it's a lot of accounting jargon, but I'll, again, I'll try to make it simple. So when you make an acquisition as a, as a business, you have what's called goodwill. So let's say I want to I want to buy Dave's um, car dealership. So he has a certain amount of cash. He has a certain amount of cars on his lot, and those cars are obviously inventory. So they're assets. They're worth something, and we can put that down in the balance sheet. And then there's the fact that I'm buying the Dave brand. And people love his dealership. 
So obviously you pay a little bit more than cash, the cash you get, the cash in his business, a little bit more than the inventory. He, uh, he owns a lot for some real estate. So you have all of those. And then you also have however much more than his assets that I paid for to acquire his business. So you still need to, basically the way a balance sheet work is, is you still need to record for, you need to record for that, for, for what you paid. So the way they do that is through this line item called goodwill. We may or may not have touched on this in previous episodes, but basically what the effect of this and, and how it can affect a financial statement is that if a company overpays for an acquisition, there is a chance that you won't see that because it will just get absorbed in the goodwill. So, you know, if his, let's say his, his cash was like 300 million, his inventory was 700 million. So we're talking about like a billion in assets, but then I paid like 20 billion. Then the way it would show up in my balance sheet is I paid 19 billion. Um, in the, the difference of, of what his business was worth versus like what I'm valuing his brand as basically 19 billion so that's what's that's what will go in the in the goodwill statement so i paid 20 billion for it 1 billion will show up in my my balance sheet as inventory and cash and the rest of it will show up as goodwill so if you think about it like basically your balance sheet is not being punished for making such a huge acquisition obviously i still have to pay the 20 billion right so like if i paid that all in cash you would see the balance sheet shrink by twenty billion in the cash side, but it would get balanced out by the fact that the goodwill um, goes up by the same amount. Hey, you! What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. So the next, the next part of that is, and this is uh, due to an accounting thing, and the something that I'm working on like a special report for this because obviously this was a a huge development, but the way the accounting rules work, and this is kind of similar to the accounting rule that Dave and I covered back, back earlier when they were talking about accounting rule changes. So in the past um, you would have to analyze basically, I don't want to get into it too detailed as far as like talking about depreciation and amortization and stuff. That's like, if you really want to dig in and and be a nerd, that's where you would start research about goodwill, amortization and depreciation. But basically in the past, like if you paid too much, they would kind of smooth out, they would smooth it out basically. But now there's a, there's a change where you just take the hit all at once. As an example, let's say I bought Dave's car dealership. And in the next three years, you know, I paid twenty billion for it, expecting a certain income stream from that that would justify paying twenty billion because his brand's very popular. If it turned out that actually I run this business and it didn't give me as much of an income stream as I thought it would, then what that means is actually his business isn't worth like twenty billion. Maybe it's worth fifteen billion or five billion. So if that were the case, you have to adjust the balance sheet because now. You know, it's not what you own with Dave's business isn't really worth twenty billion. Maybe it's worth five. So you need to adjust the balance sheet and the goodwill part of that balance sheet in order to make it to be honest, right? And and the SEC wants to make sure that you do that. So what their rules are is you have to reevaluate these businesses every year. 
Now, once you find out that that happens, let's say uh, found out that his business is really worth fifteen billion, so I have to take a five billion hit to my balance sheet. And the way that they record that is they take the five billion, and then they also will they will deduct five billion from your income statement all in one year. So it's just like and I don't like that they do this, but there's reasons behind it. But basically, so your your balance sheet will shrink by five billion. And you'll take a hit to your earnings for five billion. So that's called a goodwill impairment. And that's exactly what happened with Newell. So basically, as you can see, and they had all this shake up and you know, Carl Icon's on the board and he's making moves for Newell and there's all this activist stuff. And and that's why I bring up the Seeking Alpha, because you can read about um, some of the major players, some of the major activist investors, if there are any, how how the board's shaking up. Another thing that happened with Noel was a lot of their board members resigned. So it's just it's just chaos. Uh, made for a great price, and I really think that you know the future of their business looks really strong because their debt their debt's very man- manageable. Um, they have some other brands that are very profitable. Core business seems to be good. Uh, the Toys R Us bankruptcy really affected them. There's just a lot of things that happened. It was just an S storm, essentially. But so how 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 it works is it they took that five for Noel it was like an eight billion impairment. So they had negative earnings for the year, and so obviously the way I've always been, if they have negative earnings, then I'm gonna sell. So what what essentially happened was management overpaid for for a bunch of parts of businesses and then now they have to sell off these parts of businesses so and then the the business a lot of the businesses that they kept ended up showing that they overpaid and some profitable as they thought so you have these divestitures where noel's selling off pieces of their business they're using that cash to pay off debt that part's good but you still have to atone for previous management's mistakes. And that's bad and that's painful for shareholders. And in retrospect and looking with hindsight, it's like, okay, well, I should have really closely examined those these acquisitions. That's something, that's like the big lesson behind Newell that hopefully we can all learn from. Now, how can we do that from a practical standpoint? Because the way that financial statements work, you know, some companies might break it down where like, let's say they buy the, let's go back to Noel, like the baseball brand. Let's say they, they nicely separate that in a financial statement. So you can see, well, this is exactly how much the baseball company is earning. This company is earning and they break it out all nicely, but there's nothing from the SEC that says you necessarily have to do that. And so you might have these acquisitions. So you you get the news, you get the press release, you've checked up on the history through Seeking Alpha. So you know that there was an acquisition, you know that it's for this much, and you know generally how much they kind of estimate that that new business will earn. But as the years go on, you can't really track it if they're not spelling it out for you in the financial statements. So it's like, okay, well, what do we do? We're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. One way that you can... I, I like this idea. So it's not like a cut and fast rule. You can use your own discretion. Is you look on the balance sheet and you look at the goodwill portion of the balance sheet. And so if the goodwill is 
pretty high as a as a percentage of the total assets, well, then you know that I don't know, but it might be a good chance that some of these businesses could actually end up not being worth as much, or that you know they acquired these businesses at a premium, and, and shareholders will have to pay pay the price later. So to try to avoid goodwill impairment, well, you can't impair goodwill if there's none. So, you know, that's, that's one strong case for buying into these businesses that, that have like their own original brand. They didn't have to buy these brands. They kind of built them or invented them themselves. That's, that's a good kind of factor, right? Another way you could do it is you can maybe look at the time period that some of these acquisitions were made. So you can go back in history and you can look, okay, well, they pay, you know, like for Newell, um, maybe Newell is not a good example, but I'll, I'll use another one like CVS, which is a stock that I also did not work out like I wanted it to. They had an acquisition that was Aetna and that was made at, what was it, 2018, 2019? I'm not sure when it's going to close or if it did. But basically, you have a situation where if it's late in a bull market, there's a good chance that maybe they overpaid for this acquisition. So if it's significant, if it makes up a big part of their business, well, maybe that's a case where you know you don't necessarily want to sell because for me personally, like until it tells me in concrete like yes, there was a goodwill impairment. Then, then you know, I wouldn't necessarily want to sell just because a business I own makes makes a bad acquisition. I would rather kind of see that play out. But when it comes to like buying a new position, maybe I'm a little bit more weary about. Well, if this stock, it, you know, it, it could kind of tip it tip it the scales one way or the other. It's like, well, I was like kind of unsure about the stock. I liked it. But then at the same token, there's all this goodwill and they did a bunch of acquisitions at a time when prices were really high. Maybe that's a case to not buy. And then maybe there's another company like a Berkshire, like a Warren Buffett, or just somebody who's in the past shown that they make good acquisitions at good times and they never really had to had this history of, of making poor choices. Well, then maybe in that case, I don't, I see their goodwill as justified and I'm okay with buying that stock. Then maybe in the Newell case, maybe we can look at, well, they may, they did make a lot of acquisitions and that goodwill shot up really fast. So even though they eventually paid off that debt, it looked like management was very acquisition hungry and maybe we avoid those type of stocks in the future. So that's maybe the most tangible lesson out of all these kind of mini lessons is if you see somebody going on an acquisition binge, you might not uncover it with the debt to equity ratio, but you can look at the balance sheet and just look at Goodwill. And if it's really, really high or it's skyrocketed up, then you want to be careful because a Goodwill impairment really hurts. Their balance sheet does not look nearly as strong as it used to. They had to post negative earnings for the year. Even though that doesn't affect cash flows, it's still like, well, it remains to be seen how it will continue to play out. I would not be surprised at all if, if they end up cutting the dividend, at least if not completely, at least maybe cutting the dividend to a more uh, conservative rate where it didn't it stopped growing. Because, I mean, the, this business, is this stock 
has already taken a huge beating. It took a huge beating before I bought it, which is a reason why I did buy it. Like I said, the the balance sheet got much stronger, but because of acquisitions, it really wasn't so. So all things I think to keep in mind, we'll see how this plays out. I'm definitely keeping it on my radar, but hopefully my mistakes can be somebody else's lessons and they can take this as another kind of analysis factor moving forward. Can I ask you a question? Of course. Uh, one of the things that I guess I was thinking about while you were talking about that is this kind of illustrates the importance of looking at a longer period of time when you're looking at the numbers as opposed to just the most recent 10K. So if you just look at the one year of numbers and you don't look back at a, at a longer time period, five to 10 years, I think that looking at a t- longer time frame would, would help alleviate or maybe avoid some of those problems. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think 100%. Like, when I saw the huge binge, that the huge acquisition binge, it was kind of after the Goodwill impairment happened. So the way I perceived it when I first bought the stock was, well, they had a high debt to equity and then they made up for it. When in reality, yeah, they kind of made up for it, but they also paid a huge price. So right. the other kind of long-term factor that maybe I should have taken more into effect again, in hindsight, was their 10-year numbers, their 10-year growth numbers looked really, really good because all these acquisitions were contributing to their earnings. So like, come on, like when you when you shoot somebody full of steroids, of course their lift numbers are going to go through the roof. No, that was mm-hmm. their earnings in that case. But because they overpaid, uh, they had to pay the consequences of that eventually. And so now we're seeing it play out. And even though they're getting some cash from these divestitures, it's it's not making it for the fact that they overpaid and their balance sheet gets weaker and weaker. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a very good point. I guess it also illustrates the importance of, you know, when you're buying a company, you're not just buying what they make, you're also buying the people that run it as well. And like Buffett likes to always say, you better find a company that an idiot can run because eventually somebody will. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's the case. Like no matter how good the management is, if you inherit this situation where the previous management went crazy with their spending, even though it doesn't show up as debt, it can still show up. And I think that's a lesson I didn't know in the past. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion on Newell Brands. I really enjoyed listening to Andrew talk about that. There were a lot of great points in there, and I learned a thing or two. Uh, It was interesting to hear his discussion on Goodwill, as well as the little tidbit about Seeking Alpha. I was not not aware of that, so that was kind of cool. So I hope you enjoyed our discussion. hope you learned a thing or two that can help you with your investing. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day.
The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and/or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at eInvestingForBeginners.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply 